Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. From John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe may be seated. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to give this morning, to give just a portion of what you have given us. Lord, we pray that uh, as those offering plates have gone by and they have been taken to the back, Lord, that uh, you would use every bit of what was given today to let somebody else know about your love. Lord, we pray that someone would come to know you because of our faithfulness. We thank you for the ways in which you have been doing that and telling that story in this place, and we ask for it to continue. We thank you for the reading of Scripture, how it has already spoken to us, and I ask now, Lord, that you would continue to do that as we explore this, your word, as we come to your table. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, God, are the rock, and you are our redeemer. It is the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer, and all God's people said... Amen. When I was about uh, 10 years old, my mom got sent on a mission, uh, and she brought me along with her. Uh, the church that I was brought up in, many of y'all have heard me talk about it before, um, there was a, it was a big church, and we had a lot of involvement and a lot of passion inside the walls of that church that led us to go outside of the walls to do a lot of really cool things. One of the ministries of that church uh, was this amazing women's ministry called Lift. Ladies in fellowship together, their little symbol was a hot air balloon, and we had them all over my house as a result. Uh, my mom was super involved in Lift, and her task that day was to go and to pick up the speaker, the guest speaker, who was going to host their annual uh, rich women's retreat weekend. Um, the speaker, her name was Liz Curtis Higgs. Anybody heard of Liz before? Um, and within seconds, mom and Liz were cutting up and having all kinds of fun in my mom's van. And before the weekend was over, Liz, uh, my mom brought me in and we, we said goodbyes. And as we were at Tampa International Airport, Liz turned around and she blessed me. And she gave me a title. She said, Jimmy, I'm giving you the title, The Beloved of God. Now, let's fast forward. 
2011, I'm sitting in my office up in Louisville, my senior pastor walks in the room, knocks on the door and says, Jim, I want to introduce a new couple who's going to be joining the church and want you to know about it. And I recognized her at the moment that her smile broke through my doorway. It was Liz Curtis Higgs and her husband, Bill. And I almost cried. I was so excited because of that moment. I had read to my children uh, her children's books. I had recommended her women's Bible studies for years. And I smiled and I walked up to her and I said, um, I bet you don't remember me, but I sure know you. And I told her, I said, a long time ago, same story I just told you a long time ago, my mom picked you up in Tampa. I said, her name is Becky. Oh my goodness, Becky, how's she doing? She's a nut. And I went, well, she definitely remembers my mom. She says, your mom's a hoot. How is she? And I remember, I reminded her of her blessing me that day. And for a couple more years, I got to be her pastor, one of her pastors at Christ Church. And, and our sermon series this month, I'm giving you that, is because I have stolen every bit of this sermon series from Liz. From a book that she wrote several years ago, uh, I even stole the title, The Women of Easter. It's an incredible book. Incredible book. And this morning, uh, I'm going to shamelessly steal her introduction and read it to you, okay? As we begin this series, as we make our way to this table. This is how Liz begins the book. She sat in a pew across from us, dressed entirely in yellow. No more than four years old, she was utterly adorable from the circlet of yellow flowers in her hair to her lacy dress, pale tights, and Mary Jane shoes. But here's what struck me. This little girl hadn't simply come to church, she'd come to see God. When we stood to sing, he lives, he lives, she jumped up on the cushioned pew and kept on jumping and clapping her hands in perfect rhythm with the pipe organ. With each verse, she grew more animated, not seeking attention, but simply caught up in the joy of the moment, while the rest of us sang, she worshipped. What if I did that, I wondered? What if I offered God my whole self, nothing held back? Despite her grandmother's patient attempts to put a lid on all that enthusiasm, the girl just couldn't help it. When the last chord rang out, her upturned face shone like the sun as she stretched up her hands to celebrate Jesus. I don't know her name, but I hope it's Mary. She has all the makings of a woman of Easter, joyful, hopeful, and faithful. Liz Curtis Higgs, the woman of Easter. The first woman that... Uh, that we're going to talk about in this series isn't actually in the Easter Sunday story. There are a lot of other Marys, uh, Jesus' mom, uh, his aunt, who's also named Mary, and then Mary of Magdala. These are the resurrection superstars, right? We know them. But Mary of Bethany, um, her Easter moment is a little bit different. And like this little girl, I hope that we're going to see that this Mary prepared not only Jesus but all of us, not just for church and not just to sing and not just to affirm, but to worship and to live as an Easter people. In Luke 10, we first meet this family. Martha uh, opens up her home, which lets her maybe believe that she was the oldest of the family. It's her home, and she opens it to Jesus and his traveling companions to use as a base of operations. Martha is an amazing hostess. She's the hostess with the mostest. She's the Martha Stewart of her day. 
She is full of life, and she is full of energy, and she's full of words. She's got a lot of them in Scripture. Mary, on the other hand, is the baby of the family. While Martha opens up her home and she makes herself busy, where do we find Mary? Oh, come on, you all know the story. Where do we find Mary? She's at her at the feet. She's at the feet of Jesus, listening. Now, sitting at a teacher's feet is where disciples gather. All right? She is sitting there, which is really exciting for the ladies in the room. At least it should be. Why? Because normally the ladies are put on the other side of the wall. They're on the outskirts. Jesus lets her sit at his feet. She listens. Jesus lets her. He teach, treats her like she's one of the disciples, included along with the men, allowed, encouraged, wanted at this place of teaching and learning and sharing. Come on, ladies. This, thank you. This doesn't sit well with the busy Martha, though. She bursts into the room, and she makes demands with all of her words, and she, she tells the master, get my sniveling little sister up and get her to help. Now, as an oldest child, I can kind of see, want my little sister to get up and get moving. But let's be clear here. Martha isn't rebuking Mary. She's rebuking Jesus. Bold, Martha. Of course, many of us know the response that Martha is given by Jesus. It's one that most of us Marthas in the room don't like a whole lot. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, the busy Martha, the one full of words, is invited to sit and be still. Not easy for us Marthas in the room, is it? The work is important. Everybody's got to eat, amen? But the priorities have to be set. As Liz says, Martha had chosen duty. Mary had chosen Jesus. Time goes by. Uh, Jesus is uh, about 20 miles, about a day's journey from Bethany, uh, when our next story of Mary begins. Lazarus, the middle child, the brother, is sick. And the family sends word, they request that Jesus come and be with them. Now, it's really nice written that way in our Bibles, but it's probably more like, Jesus, we need you to get here now. Bubby's sick. Martha, with her word, sends for Jesus, and it takes a whole day uh, to get there, and Jesus lingers for two more days there in the wilderness before he takes that day-long journey back to Bethany. Now, by the time Jesus rounds the corner with Bethany in his sights, Lazarus, we're told in Scripture, has been dead for how many days? Four. Now, what does that tell us? That means that he died before the runner even got to Jesus. Maybe before that runner was more than five miles away from home. And we know from reading in John that Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead. And someone comes in and tells Martha, the master is here, Jesus has arrived. And she gets up and she runs over to see him. And Martha, dear sweet Martha, is full of words all over again. What does she say? Well, one of the things she says is, Lord, if only you had been here. Mary finally uh, rises after Martha comes in and says, Mary, you got to get up. 
She goes to Jesus, and do you know what she says to him? Lord, if only you had been here. Uh, both sisters say the exact same thing. Uh, I just want to, can you feel that hurt? Can you, can you feel that loss? Can you feel that woundedness, not just that a brother is gone, but that Jesus didn't come? Their words are, Jesus, you could have done something. And what's Jesus do? John says that he is deeply moved in spirit and in trouble. Jesus feels this moment in his guts. I, 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 I experience my emotions. I wear my emotions in two places. Oftentimes on my sleeve, I try and hide that, but it's right here. It's in my gut. If I'm anxious or if I'm nervous about something, my gut is a mess. Jesus is feeling this loss in his gut. The original words indicate that he groans, a groaning pain. And then, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But then he got into action. He had the attendants roll away the, the stone that, that sealed the tomb, foreshadowing maybe? And he prays, and he shouts, Lazarus, come forward. Now, I don't know about you, and I asked the early service, and they were like, you're crazy. Uh, but I can't wait. I, I want to know what that sounded like. Anybody else with me? I can't wait to get to heaven and walk around and do the gates thing, and then come back to the gates where the red box is going to be, and check out this scene. <laughs> because I want to know, how did Jesus say it? Was it James Earl Jones? Lazarus, come forward. Or was it Jesus knew what he was going to do, so he's really excited, so he's like, Lazarus, come on, get out of here. In any case, what, what happens? The man walks out of the tomb. He's still wrapped up in his death linens, but he's alive. And the crowd goes wild. Now, as soon as it's over, someone goes and tattletales to the religious police. Shocker. Jesus has just shown unbelievable power and grace and love, and the response is for those in power to get worried and fearful and jealous. We're not sure how much time goes by between this second story and the third mention of Mary of Bethany, and the, but this is the Easter part. This time, there's another party being thrown back at Martha's home. It's probably the Saturday before Palm Sunday, and everybody is gathered in Bethany to live, laugh, and love. They're going to have some fun. And as the dinner is going on, Lazarus is sitting with Jesus. Now, the gospel writers make it very clear, he's eating. He's still alive, and he's eating. Martha, what's she doing? Well, she's serving, but she's not fretting this time. She's finding joy. She's being with the Lord. She's serving. It's a totally different scene than from that first dinner party. And at some point, little Mary, she steps away and she returns slowly to what our eyes is a container about the size of a can of Coke, 12 ounces. There's some liquid inside of it. It's an alabaster container. Now, the box alone tells us that it's something pretty pricey. Lazarus knows what it is. So does Martha. Mary, I picture her head down, quietly stepping around the gathering. And once again, we find her where? At the feet of Jesus. It's the same position she was in when Martha scolded. And this time, nobody says a word. 
John tells us that Mary breaks the jar. She doesn't screw the lid. She breaks it. There's no coming back once you do this. And she pours the contents, 12 ounces, enough to fill a can of Coke all over Jesus. What is it? It's nard or spikenard, a very costly oil that would have come from near modern-day Iran. It's only used for special occasions, and that much would have been Mary's security if something had happened to her household. We don't know that she was married. We don't think that she was. She'd already experienced the loss of, of Lazarus, who was to care for her. This, this jar, this alabaster container held her future, her savings, her retirement, her medical care. Whatever that she needed was there. And what does she do? She dumps it. Now we're told Judas isn't pleased and he speaks out about it. In Mark's version, others present are also upset. Mark tells us that they were indignant by this waste, that they rebuked her harshly. Let's be clear, Mary's offering is scandalous. It's bold. It's way over the top. Today, it's estimated that it would have been a $30,000 waste of resources. And, 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 and what does Jesus say? He says, leave her alone. Knock it off. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that just breathtaking? Isn't that just like Jesus Mary is overcome with thanks and love for this man who had given her back her brother. She knows that Jesus is special. He's worth her all, her trust, her, her security, her future. And Mark tells us Jesus calls it a beautiful thing. John says that Jesus sees this as an act, as a resurrection moment. She did this in preparation for my burial. And the crowd went stunned and silent. Again, Liz Curtis-Sig says, instead of condemning her, they should have commended her for her outrageous act. Twelve ounces of this nard is poured out on Jesus. I've had a vial of, of nard, a spikenard, for nine years. It's about this big. It's, it's tiny. It'll last me years more. It is a strong oil. It is a beautiful fragrance. Mary's vial of nard was probably thicker than our oil, maybe more like a waxy consistency. And I have to imagine, I have to believe, it stuck for a while. It didn't go away. It was a scent that lingered more than just that night. Made me wonder, what, what about on Palm Sunday? Did the crowd smell it as they sang Hosanna? Or what about when he overturned the tables? And when he prayed in the garden, was that scent still on him? What about when he was dragged before Pilate, this royal scent wafting off of him? Did Pilate smell it? What if the scent still was on Jesus as people passed him as he hung on that cross? His feet would have been close enough. Was the, still, the smell still faint when they wrapped him in those clothes, those cloths, and placed him in a borrowed tomb? It's one of my favorite sections from Paul's writings where he says the believers, the followers of Jesus, that's you and me, um, were the fragrance or the aroma of Christ given to the world. Uh, he says it's a sweet perfume. I wonder if Paul had Mary of Bethany in mind when he wrote that. 
You know, some, he says, Paul says, will ignore this sin. It'll become like death and doom. But others will take it on, and, and it'll be a part of a life-giving moment of Christ's triumph living out in them. It is a smell of a life abandoned to all the other stuff. It's, it's a, a life that finds itself regularly at the feet of the one who has the power over death and loss. It is a wide open kind of love that causes us to lift our hands in the air like a four-year-old little girl lost in worship at Easter. Mary's cry when her brother was sick was very simple. Jesus, we need you. On the night of that dinner, Mary still needed Jesus, but she also needed in that moment to worship, to pour out and to make a declaration that my all, all is in you. Makes me wonder, what's the cry of our heart today? Are you like Mary and, and in need of Jesus to show up? Are your prayers right now, if only you'd been here, kind of prayers? Can I let you know that you're not alone? These prayers have been prayed millions of times before, and it seems to me that God's okay with them. Jesus didn't tell Mary and Martha to be quiet. I'm here now. He felt it with them. He hurt with them. Or maybe you're someone who's seen the goodness of God, but you're more like a grandma trying to keep it all together and keep it all bottled up in the pew cushion. When God's inviting you to stand up on your pew, Mary Janes and all, and not just sing, not just come to church, but pour it all out in worship. That's the kind of woman or a man of Easter. That's someone that I want to be like. That's someone who's got a purpose. That's someone who's going to stand upright. That's someone who's going to bless their city and change it. Joy and I got a call from her sister uh, Easter week. Uh, it was about a, a friend of our nephew. Um, our nephew, Matthew, is going to be 18 in July. And um, his friend tried to take his life. And uh, they were calling us to be praying for Matthew. And Matthew, we've been worried about um, his own decisions and his own choices and his men mental health. Last year, um, his stepfather, our, our brother-in-law, took his life. In Matthew's class, I can't remember, but it's at least two, maybe more kids have taken their lives in the last couple of years. If you don't know yet, suicide is an epidemic that is affecting um, particularly this younger generation that, uh, that we're surrounded with, that we have all over the place. It's a real problem. When we asked Matthew, we said, Matthew, um, what's going on? Why is this an option for you when you see the loss of so many other people? He says, he says just because we we're struggling to have purpose. We don't know what life holds. All we see is negative. All we see is cities being torn apart. All we see is woundedness. What good is it? I, on Facebook yesterday, my 41-year-old cousin, who's been close to me like a brother when we were growing up, um, has made some really stupid choices in his life. No excusing it. Dumb choices. He's expressing suicidal ideation on Facebook. It's not just our younger generations who are struggling with this. Suicide is a problem across the spectrum. I wonder why. I wonder if it has more to do with cities being torn apart by words. 
cities that don't have any purpose, cities who are trying to, and people who are trying to find their worth in a lot of other things, their security in a lot of other things. Instead, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm alive, I'm risen. I can give you purpose. If there's nothing else that the church is called to, it's, it's to say to the world, there is life. There is purpose, there is meaning. So maybe your heart this morning is crying out like Mary and Martha early on, Lord, where you been? Or, or maybe you're, you're a granny who's just kind of holding it all together, or a grandpa. That doesn't mean age. I know a lot of young people who are grandpas. Don't want to get up, want to bottle it all in. And instead, Jesus is inviting us to a life abundant, a life where we can be like a Mary and we can pour it all out and we can go, wow, what kind of life is this? state of your heart this morning what's your prayer would you pray with me gracious and loving God we thank you for this story for this opportunity to to know this woman and we ask oh holy one Lord that whatever the cry of our heart is that you would meet us there. As we come to your table this morning, as we partake of bread and cup, let us be reminded that you're okay with the cries, the hurts, the longings. You've invited us to a purpose and a life that says pour it all out and you'll have more than you could ever imagine. So help us, Lord. Help us to be a kind of people empowered by your Spirit to be upright kind of folks, upright even when we find ourselves at your feet. We love you and we give you thanks. Amen.